Dr. Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. Just remember that the show is made possible through listeners and viewers like you. Just go to thepaulleslie.com and click on Support the Show. Thank you to all of you who have contributed. Now let's get into the interview. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Leslie presents... And now your host, Paul Leslie. All stories have a beginning, so let's hear from one of music's absolute greats, Mr. Charles Pope, coming from Pilgreen's Diner in Atlanta, Georgia. I asked him how they started out, and it was a humble beginning. The music career began when we were like this local band around in Atlanta sang from club to club. And uh, we got up pretty popular singing around the clubs in Atlanta because we were doing other people's songs. We had one guy sounded just like Sam Cooke. And that even made it a big, bigger, you know, boost for us because he could sing like Sam Cooke. Finally, we uh, got real, real popular. And... uh, we had two guys from Georgia Tech came down to talk with us about doing some demos. And uh, so we told them, yeah, we would do them. You know, we demoed some songs for them. They wanted to take out to Lara Music. And uh, we demoed them. They took them to Lara, and he listened to them. He thought the songs were great. But he said, I'm kind of interested in the guys that are doing the singing. Who are they? And... They told me we were a group from down around Auburn Avenue, which is where the street and one of the King was born on. That's where we come from, too. But anyway, uh, they, you know, they they sent some guy down there from Villares' office to, to find us. He wanted to talk to us. Well, he kept listening to the demos that we did for these two guys, and he just loved it. He loved us. So finally, we was rehearsing one day, and this guy from Larry's come knocked on the door, and uh, we we actually was, and uh, we could tell by his voice he was a white guy. <laughs> so I said, "That's a white guy," you know. At that time, like you know, like. And it was still segregated, you know, was, and um, if I said, man, it might be the police, you know, but we weren't doing anything. We just scared of the police. And uh, we went to the door and said, who, what's your name? Who are you? He said, my name's Steve Thomas. And uh, so he said, is the Tams here? Say, yeah, we're the towns. We cracked the door and looked down there. He said, I want to talk to y'all. We let him in. He came in and told us that Larry was interested. Bill Larry was interested in us. And uh, he asked us, could we come out there the next day to about 8 o'clock, 8.30? And we said, yeah, we could be out there. And we went out to his office and he told us he wanted to record us. And uh, so... We said yes, 
and the rest is history from the Thames, Brother Thames, you know, like one song led to another one. Bill Iyer picked all the songs, you know, mostly him and Joe. My brother was the lead singer. Bill Iyer liked it, he liked it. So we did a lot of stuff that they both liked. Um, I, um, I guess that that was uh, how we got started, you know. And because the guys had these demos, that really made everything click. So growing up, what kind of music did you listen to and, and how did you become interested to come to the point where you thought, maybe this is something I need to go into? Well, I, I've listened to all kinds of music. I like all kinds of music. That's why my biggest ambition was to do a song with orchestra. I've always loved music, period. But, um, Tams, we, we sing everything, everything of somebody else's, you know. That's how we got started. We sing around Atlanta, every club in Atlanta, we were singing with Gladys Knight and the Pips before they got big, you know, they were still local at the time. We used to be in, in, like, in battling with them, you know, on the same shore. They had a good group and everything, but we were real popular in Atlanta. So this guy that sang like Sam Cooke, he really sang like, sound a lot like Sam. And that made us get over real good. And that's where everything started from, by us being able to go in these, these clubs and sing these songs. Fire Roy's and Midnighters, all those groups, we were singing all this stuff. For those who have never seen the Thames, where did the Thames get their name? Who was the one that came up with that name to call them the Thames? Uh, one of the guys in the group, his name was uh, Willie James Rutherford. He, what the way it really happened was we, we had a show to do and we didn't have costumes. So, this guy, Willie James, had a job. He, 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 he took some of his money from his job and bought up, went and bought us some red sweaters and some blue tams. And I don't know why he came up with that, but that's what we wore that, 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 that night for shows. And, uh, after that, that name just stood. Everybody started calling us the tams. <laughs> and that's how we got the name, but he was the one that, that thought of that idea. Name was Willie James Rutherford. He's now deceased, but uh, that's how we got the name. We just kept the name. The name got popular, and uh, when we recorded with Bill Lowry, Bill Lowry said, "What are y'all going to call yourself?" And we were looking at each other. Everybody, we didn't know what what to do. He said, "Why don't y'all just keep the name the Thames?" <laughs> so we did. It's on all side, the Thames. At what point did you realize, during the course of the TAMS, at what point did you feel like it was starting to come full circle? You started saying, I think we're on to something. Yeah, we'll pray. Um, well, we kind of knew, we went to Nashville and recorded. Yeah, again, we, we recorded with a big band, we was using strings. Uh, cellos, uh, 
kilograms, everything together. We were home about 13, 14 pieces. And Ray Stevens was a guy who was doing all this. This was his way. He wanted the cams. I think he was trying to give us a more of a gypsum kind of thing, you know, with the volumes and all. But uh, we uh, we cut we cut the uh, we recorded with uh, this thirteen or fourteen piece orchestra, and it was like different, you know, different. We had never done anything like that before, but uh, we couldn't decide on who was going to be the lead singer. We was thinking about that. Everybody wanted Floyd Ashton, the little guy that sang the Sam Cooke song, to be the, the lead singer, because he could dance. He, he could dance better than anybody in the group, and everybody wanted him to be the lead singer. But after we had done so many of the Tam songs that we were recording, we had one song left to do. We needed one more song, really. And uh, Joe Soft said, well, I got one other song that is it, real simple. We can do it real quickly. And uh, it was on timing. And uh, he said, who wants to sing it? And so we were, we were all looking at each other like, I, I didn't want it. LaFleur didn't want to sing like Sam Cooke. He didn't want to do it. So Joe said, my brother, Joe said, I'll try it. So Joe Soft he said, come over here, let me teach you today. He went and threw some. Not too long ago, said you love me till the end. So Joe listened to it, and, you know, here Joe Sal do it. And then he said, you sing a little bit of it. And Joe started saying it. He said, yeah, I think you can do it. And we recorded it. We did about, about eight or ten songs. Uh, 12 songs, I don't remember exactly how many, but we did enough to do an, a, a CD, an album, rather, at that time. And uh, when we got everything back, Bill Iyer play, played us the stuff after it was, you know, mastered and everything. And we told Bill Iyer that, that day that uh, he was going to release something there. We said, we, we think you ought to release Untimey, because that's going to be a hit. He said, Untimey. And we told him, yes, yeah, please. We said, that's a hit. We knew when they played it back after we recorded the sound of it that it was a hit. So they said, well, if y'all feel that strong about it, we'll do it. So they released it. And he, when he hit the radio stations, who was uh, in Atlanta sitting at my brother that just passed at his house. He had cooked dinner for everybody. He was over there eating. And uh, we didn't even know the song had been released. They played it on the radio while we were there. And we were sitting there by saying, I have heard that song before, you know. We didn't even know because we didn't know it had been released. One guy said, That's us. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the guy played it. Half, halfway to the end, he said, it's a smash. He said, I'm going to back it up and play it all over again. And we told Bill I was going to be a hit, but he didn't want to believe He didn't believe us. It was a hit, like we told him. Our first hit, I'm timing.
Who's your producer on that? Was that the, was the Bill producer? Uh, Ray Stevens. Was that the Ray Stevens? The Ray Stevens from Nashville. Right. He produced all the first things on us. So he's the one was. He's the one that had the idea by using that big band. We had we had all kind of uh, country musicians on that. I mean, he had uh, some of the guys I can't remember their names, but there's some big stars on that. You know, he had thirteen pieces. Violin, cellos, or whoops. And he, this was all his doing. But we got away from that. We should have stayed with it. But Bill Lyre didn't want to pay the money for the big auction. So he stopped us from using it, cut it down to just four pieces and stuff like that. But Ray Stevens had that idea, and the strings and stuff would have took us to another level, you know. Because violins and stuff give you uh, more, I would say, maybe a class or something. I don't know, but that's the way we felt about it. I feel I didn't want to pay the money for the session being too expensive. So we went back, and Joe South took over. Y'all may know Joe South, you know? mm-hmm. but Joe South. We came back to Atlanta, started recording in Atlanta, and Joe South was our producer. He was good. Joe South was really a good producer, and he's a good songwriter. Did he produce most of your records? Yeah, after after he left Nashville, Joe South. But Willie just wrote stuff. He didn't didn't have nothing to do with the recording. Ray Willie, uh, Ray Willie. Wrote a lot of hits for us. Well, kind of food, hey girl, don't bother me. I've been hurt. I mean, I can go on for days. It was always one of my favorite songs. Yeah. Ray Willie, he wrote all the songs. Wasn't a great songwriter, but uh, he always come up with a good hook, and we'd help him. And we didn't ever get the credit for it, but my brother Joe would help him write these songs. But he come up with the, the, the idea of it, and then Joe, my brother, was telling him, now let's put this line in there, put that line in there, and we, we complete the song, you know. A lot of people aren't aware that the Tams have international following, that they were very big in England. Um, yeah, I would think so. Um, it was kind of a weird situation about that, but when we went over to England, that song that was seven years old. It was it had been released in the, in the United States, and it went to about uh, it, I don't know exactly what it was in the charts in here in the states, but it went to number one in England. Seven years later, somebody picked it up over there and started playing it in the clubs. And the song just it said, exploded. And uh, we could not believe it. Bill Lyle calls in, in, in the office and said, I want to meet with y'all. So I got some interest to tell, tell y'all. We went out to his office and went out there and he said, y'all ain't going to believe this. Y'all got the number one record in England. Seven years old. Number one was throughout the whole state of England. It was, I mean, we toured over there. We stayed over there 45 days. We went over there to support the record because it was so big. And that song was Hey Girl Don't Bother Me. Seven years old. When you think about all the musicians that have just become legends, um, 
What sticks out in your mind? You were telling us earlier about your experiences with Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles. I'm sure you have lots of stories. Well, I, I just, I don't know, I just played with them, you know, like, we'd be on tour. I've toured with a lot of different artists. I mean, if I could just think of some of these people that I've been with, you know, I've toured with a lot of different people. Ray Charles was, he, he was, uh, a genius like everybody said he was. He was good at what he do, you know. He, he recorded, um, he, he did the song live with us, and you know, I, I, I didn't never seen nothing like it. It was, he had a little piano about, <laughs> about tall as his table, maybe, and he played. It was a little piano that just came out, so I playing that on. I couldn't believe it, but uh, he recorded it live with us, and uh, that was the most fantastic thing I ever seen. Because everybody was saying, people I know were saying, "What is it?" With? They didn't know what kind of instrument it was, but nobody had seen electric piano before. You know? So when he was playing the Fender Rhodes, was that was the world's one? It may have been a Fender Rhodes. I don't know what it was. Like it's, I I did know the name of it, but I can't remember what the name it was. The piano, but it just came out. The piano, and Ray Charles had bought one. He played it. Tell me what I say. There's the name of the song. <laughs> As far as you've been at this game for uh, many years, what is it about it that, for you, keeps it fresh? The people, uh, my audience. Uh, without the audience, I don't know, you know, I wouldn't be nothing. Towns wouldn't be nothing. The people make us what we are. You know? when, when you see people... To me, you know, um, see people that love what you do and smiling and happy and stuff like that. When you come off the stage, they just so lovable and praising you and everything. That's the most important thing about show business to me is my audience, you know, because my audience and really, to me, you know, you're nothing without an audience, you know. Nothing. I don't care how big you are. If you, that audience doesn't like you, you're not doing nothing. But when you come off the stage, like when we did the symphony thing in Myrtle, Myrtle Beach, I mean, I, I almost want to break down the crowd. People just mobbed us, just stood up for us, and it was just wonderful, you know. But I always wanted to sing with an orchestra, I got my chance to do that. But, the people, it's the people that make everything happen for me, you know, for the times. Because you're just nothing without the fans. You, you can't be nothing without the fans. They make you, they can break you. Very true. They, if, if they don't come to see you, you're not going anywhere but down. You know, once they put your name out there, say the Tams or whoever the name of your band, and people come pay money to see you, and you go out there and the place is packed, it's a great feeling, you know. So that's what it's done for me. A lot of artists can lose sight of that sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah they do. It's very true. 
You mentioned that a lot of the songs that you would say your favorite to perform are the ones that get people like out of their seat and dancing. Yeah. What song that would a damn song do you feel has personal meaning? Do you feel there's more to it? If you take heed to the, the words in the song. What can what can song? Yeah. Um I guess I would say what kind of fool do you think I am? Because that song says what it it says, you know, it means what it says. What kind of fool do you think I am? He's asking a question, you know. From his girlfriend or wife or whoever he's talking to, he's asking a question, you know. She think she thought he was a fool, so he wanna know, you know, what kind of fool do you think I am? So it means what it's meant exactly what it says. And that would probably be uh, the favorite song, but I've been heard all of those songs were great. I've been heard it was the next big pop of song because I remember we used to play a lot of colleges uh, and uh, the kids loved I've been hurt than they did what kind of food. Now, the older people like what kind of food, but the kids and schools used to play a lot. We were number one on all, all the colleges. We even beat out Jane Brown on college checkers one time. We do what we do. I've been, I've been hurt. They go crazy. Did the Rondells cover any of those songs? Did Bill and the yeah, Rondells cover yeah. those? Two of them. Two of them. It's for What Kind of Fool, didn't they? What Kind of Fool. Well, and and uh, I've Been Hurt, too. I thought yeah. so, yeah. 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 I hit with them, too. I don't know how big, but it did hit. They shot it. How, far, how long was it after you originally recorded them? Um, I think it may be about. I would say three, four years before he did them. I like your versions better, by the way. Mm-hmm. I like your versions better, by the way. We're going to go back to the interview with Mr. Charles Pope of the Tams. Here he is talking about his brother, the late, great Joe Pope. Yeah, my brother had a kind of unusual voice. He had a, a raspy, hoarse type old voice. A lot of people like that because he sang that way, but he couldn't have it. He was a weird voice. When I say, the, when I talk about the other members of the Tams, as they are today, what goes through your mind? When you talk about? Yeah. Um, the, the Tams, you mean you want me to play The band as it is today. What 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 goes through your mind when you think about your bandmates? Oh, well, I um, uh, it's like um, I'm uh, by myself now. It was it was like years ago when everybody was together. I wish that could have stayed that way, but like my my my, my brother, the least thing he's deceased. That was a terrible loss. Um, one of the other guys members, he died. That was a terrible loss. But my brother had the sound, and, you know, his voice was sound of Tams. That was really a devastating thing because we thought, well, this is the end of the Tams because he's not here no more. People, you know, people loved him. You know, they loved his sound and everything, him as a person. My brother would pick up a lot of time with the fans. I mean, my brother would kill with nobody done. These fans was the most important thing. 
If a fan got on stage with him, you got to stand there. Somebody come up there and want to say, you got to come on. He said, no, leave him alone. They're all right. He, you don't touch his fans. He didn't have it. Okay, a man, male or female, he, he couldn't, they came on that stage, they had to stay there. Because my brother would not allow nobody to touch him. He said, no, don't, don't bother They're not bothering me. Leave them alone. No, but. There aren't many bands that can say that after 40 years, they're still coming out with albums. I mean, that can impress anybody. And the Tams have a new album out, and it's called The Tams Coming At You. So tell us about the new album. Um, well, we, you know, we, we just, I don't know how to say this, but I guess we just recorded this album because uh, we wanted to do something, you know, new and these people wanted us to do with them, so we recorded the album. But the song uh, uh, that we're doing on that album, and the title of the album, it was my idea. I, I named it that Tam's Coming At You. But Main Squeeze, uh, when we heard that, we, 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 we told them that would be a good single, you know. We always try to pick some songs, whether we, they listen to us or do what we say, you know. And I, but we told them that Main Squeeze was a good song, and uh, so they released it. But uh, to be able to do that now and, and uh, continue being a Tam and recording, it's, uh, it's great. It's one of the greatest things for me to do at my age now, because I'm 68 years old. Uh, my son is Little Red. He's kind of taking over, you know. But I, I still be there because the people want me to be there, you know. And he does too, you know. He, he, uh, I told him, you know, he's going to take over whatever. If anything should happen to me or whatever, I retire, whatever. He's going to take over. But I still go because I like what I do, you know. I've been doing this all my life. I don't know anything else to do, you know. Um, but uh, I, uh, I'm going to let him take over, but he don't want me to quit. You know? He want me to just keep on going. So he want me because he tell me I got to go out first. You know, I have to be the first one. I walk out first, and then they all come behind me so the people can see me that I'm original. And that's what he wants it, you know. But uh, I want him to start making a name for himself, too, you know. But he does. He sells himself real well. He's a great dancer, great entertainer. And I think the town will go on many more years, no matter what, whether I go out there or whatever, anything should happen to me or whatever, I think the town will still be big. Because my son has made a lot of name, a big name for himself, I would say. Um, people love him. They love what he do. And uh, I think... He's going to take the camps to another, uh, another height. Yeah. Isn't he the one who's singing on the musical main squeeze? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's got a good voice. Yeah, he does. He recalls well. He's always had, and even from a little boy, he's been a good, good recording person. Um, he's never uh, really had a, a major hit, but he should have. He was with our... our RCA and 
don't know what happened. They released the album and they was selling the company or doing something and they, his record just got lost in the shuffle. Never did get a chance. But he is a great song. I mean, he, he sings, everything he does great. He sings great. That's a good voice. I'm proud of him. I'm proud to have him with me. He dances well too. Puts on a great show. That's what it really keeps the camera alive because he's a great entertainer, a great one. And uh, I'm proud of that. I'm proud to know that after all these years we're still going strong. And uh, I don't know, I'm just glad to be a tan. <laughs> I'm just happy to be a tan. Do you enjoy Sarah? Yeah, I still enjoy it. I probably always will. I don't really want to quit ever. I just think about it sometimes. But you know, my son, he don't want me to quit. He want me to be out there all the time with him. But like I say, his fear is that if I'm alive and well, I should be there because people know me. You know, so that's why he he be pushing me to go out first. You know, so people see me go do, do the rest of them. I always need to go out first, and then they come behind me. There's one thing that uh, it stuck with me when we were talking up in Athens. You said, the Tams will always be. And that stuck with me. And that you were talking about your son. So, you think the Tams will be around in the future? You think the Tams are just going to continue? I think the Tams will be forever. I think they'll be forever. Because... See, what I do is, uh, my people and my family members, uh, they have to sing. My, my family is a musical family. And uh, I even got my granddaughter now in, in voice training. I mean, you know, everybody, if you come with my family, you have to sing. My daughter sings. She's with a famous group called Escape. And they was, uh, they had three platinum CDs. Everybody in my family sing. Yeah, you must sing. You must, everybody must sing that comes from my family. So, I, as I said, now I got a grand, granddaughter. And I got her in, in voice, taking voice lessons. So she'll be able to do, you know, a good job and know what she's doing and have a ability to sing right, you know. So she's in voice lesson. I just I say this to everybody in my family. If you're a pope, you must sing. <laughs> when you look back at all the years you've been doing this, what is one of your favorite memories? Uh, my favorite memory is uh, that we went to England and uh, had the number one song seven years old. That's hard to believe, hard to even for anybody to say. I mean, you know, it just, just don't happen. A song seven years old becoming the number one song in England. That's one of my greatest and fondest memories. And the other one that I played with Jimmy Buffett, a big, big artist who treated us with the greatest respect and she just, she just great. I mean, really great. That's two of the highlights of my life. So tell us about uh, Flesh and Bones. 
Uh, I don't know exactly how to tell you about that. It, this was all Jimmy's idea. Jimmy, after we had talked with him, he called me one day and said he wanted us to come record with him. And uh, we told him he would. He said they sent the song. We listened to it. We listened to it. We listened to it. We kept listening. So he wanted us to do our own thing on it. And so that's why I kept listening and listening. I said, I don't know. And then I started trying to come up with some background for it. So I, come, I, I came up with the idea for the background. And then my son, Red, he got part of it. So we put it all together and we did the background. Jimmy didn't have nothing to do with the background part. He let us do it. And uh, when we went to New York, he threw us up there. Treated us good, put them in a motel, nice motel. And uh, we went to the studio the next, the, the, the next day. And <laughs> they said, uh, he got those uh, Jimmy's, I guess he Jimmy's conductor. He said, I want y'all to come over here to the piano and, uh, and, 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 and we're going to run through it. So we did. And we sang our parts and everything. And somebody said something. We said, no, they got it. They got it. <laughs> and so they went and said, we ready to go. So they got it. Yeah. And we, had, we we made our own background. Nobody told us what to do. They sent us the, the uh, demo. We listened to it. We came up with our own idea. So the background was our own, you know, thing. We did it ourselves. So what was it like? performing in concert and going on the road with uh, Mr. Buffett and his crew. <laughs> very exciting, very exciting. Uh, we did a lot of things, you know, with Jimmy, like traveling to different cities that I may not ever go, or ever play, I don't know, maybe I will, but I, you know, we went, went to some place with Jimmy that I mean, I never have experienced uh, I mean, I ever get there, but I went with Jimmy. He used to ask me sometimes, we'll have 80,000 out here tonight. Charles, you scared? I said, no, Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy used to ask me that. We'll have 70,000 tonight, sometimes 150,000, whatever. He, he always asked me, how you going to feel about all these people? I said, I'm going to be all right, Jim. I'm used to it. <laughs> and, uh, it was... Uh, that was one of my greatest, and you know, like you know, to, to be with a man like Jimmy Buffett, it's it's an honor, and you gotta be proud to, to be able to do that because Jimmy's a huge act, and you know, he made my day, made made all of us, you know, me. I mean, something that I'll never forget in my lifetime. You know, to travel with Jimmy Buffett. After going on the road with Jimmy and doing all those shows, how do you compare Paradise? Hand stamps. <laughs> and the differences in the blindness. Well, you know, because of uh, the fact that I, I go to him. I go to my band. Jimmy, stay away from him. Jimmy, you know, he, I guess he has to. But I don't think that I've got as many fans as Jimmy, you know, like Jimmy feel like it's that mob and that he'll get stuck with signing autographs. But I do that mind like I like it, I enjoy it, you know, because it makes me feel like I am somebody, you know, and that 
I'm grateful to these people for wanting uh, my autographs and stuff like that. And they be saying to me, thank you, thank you, I say, thank you, I appreciate it, you know, because that's the way I have to feel, you know, because people, when they, they don't have to pay to come see you, they don't, they don't have to want your autographs, if they want it, it's an honor, you know. Some people be too busy, uh, some people don't want to sign autographs, but I do, I sign autographs all night long, I have to, you know, because uh, that's what it's all about, you know, making people happy. You'd be surprised at the people that pay to come see you just to touch you or be close by you. They really love that. And I've, I've learned to realize that. I, you know, I just put that first thing in my, that's my first priority, is to make sure the man's know that I'm, I'm happy to be my fans, you know. A man asked me one day, I'm going to say this, we were playing somewhere, he came with me, and uh, this was a little bit before I go on, he recognized me, I walk around the door and he stopped me. He said, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. I said, sure, go ahead. He said, can I have a picture with you? I said, yeah, I'll take a picture with you. So he got, when he got the person he had wanted to take the picture, a lady, I guess it was his wife, I don't know. And uh, he got beside me, he put his arm around me. He said, how much you gonna charge me? I said, nothing. And he couldn't believe that, you know. I said, nothing. I'm like, I don't know what people do this by, so I'm not gonna charge you anything. He was, he just went crazy because I took a picture with him. <laughs> I do that all the time. I have to. I mean, I, I, I know where I come from, you know, and I know how I got where I am. Which, I mean, I'm not big like Jimmy Buffett, but, you know, I, I, I really appreciate my fans very much. Without fans, you're just not, nobody, you know, you can look out there in the audience and if there ain't nobody out there, there's something wrong. <laughs> something's wrong, yeah. This program goes out all over the world. So here's the big question. What do you want to say to the world? To the world? To the world. I want to say to the world, I wish that the whole wide world would love the Thames. <laughs> That's what I want to say to the whole wide world. And I wish that I could travel all over the world to see the fans and to meet and greet them, you know, go up and shake their hand, they shake my hand. That's what I love to do. Because I realize like this, that without a fan, you're nobody. You're nobody. You've got to have fans. Everybody. If you show business, there's no other way to make it without fans. So the fans are my buddies, my friends, and my family. That's what they are to me. Mr. Pope, it has been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
that we use enlighten and confuse words have no meaning at all Bapa tulit pipa Padira, di pampiri bura peti kanas jipak kira kanat segil bandu gulur tinggi jika mangga peti segil ya hunga ayah kesegel bagi dagamu ida kamu gua kacar agar ingat aku tenggelam kepo akik kau no oh goodbye.